You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here for the Locked On Nationals podcast. Today brought to you by rockauto.com. Today's show, guys, special one coming for you. I told you I'd try to bring you some interview type stuff on a Thursday. Sully Baseball and I of the Locked On MLB podcast. We talk about baseball, you know, his, his experience growing up in baseball, mine as well. Baseball rivalries, we have a lot of fun with that. Talk about the Nats rivalries. And I, I kind of give him the lowdown on the Nats for the 2021 season. So this, this is kind of me going on to his show. It's a fun uh, conversation. Once again, coming on Fridays, guys, I will have my spring training recap of the week. We are doing a locker room tomorrow on the Nationals. That is going to be live at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. I said noon. We'll do it live at 11 a.m. Eastern Time tomorrow. And I'm kind of making a joint one. I'm going to talk some Nationals. I'll talk some bracket stuff as well. If you guys want to hear some of my NCAA basketball tournament stuff. So we'll kind of make it a, a joint venture there. All questions are welcome on the Locker Room app. Guys, go download it today. Join it, become part of our community. It's a lot of fun on there. So go check out the Locked On uh, the Locker Room app. Follow me. I'm on there at Josh Neighbors. You guys can follow me, and then you guys will see tomorrow when we go live at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast we talk about all of Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. On today's episode, which we are recording on the 19th day of March, we are almost in late March, which means the baseball season is right around the corner. We're bringing in Josh Neighbors of Locked On Nats to talk about his team and basically wherever our minds shall go. This show is available on the radio.com app and everywhere you get your podcasts. And when you're staying at home as we're trying to beat this thing, wear your mask, don't be a dumbbell, and tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On MLB. Or check out some of the other great shows on the Locked On Podcast Network, including Locked On MLB Prospects with Aaron Lightning. Hey, why not Locked On Nationals with Josh Neighbors? Follow us on Twitter at Locked On MLB Pods. Same handle on Instagram. I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. So it's Friday. Rare Friday show for Lockdown MLB, as I usually go Sunday through Thursday, but we had to skip a day. But here we are. We're doing Friday, and we're bringing in the voice, the Lockdown voice of the Nationals, the last team to win a World Series in a real season. The last team to win a World Series in front of their home fans. Welcome back, Josh Neighbors. Welcome to the show. Uh, Sully, I think it's been, let's see, I've, so I've been a part of Locked On for a, over a year now. Yeah. And it, just because it's been such an extraordinarily weird year, mm. I actually don't think you and I have ever gotten a chance to do this before. So no, I know. I realized that when I said welcome back, because I've always, that's like, I, I guess this is right. uh, my, my great apology to you. That I no, no, that. no, no apologies. I'm just, it's funny how you and I have not actually crossed paths in a uh, recording sense to this yeah. point, but it's, it's great to be here. 
it's great yeah. to be on this show. And I'll tell you what, late March for me, mm. um, you know, I'm not sure how, how much in tune to it you are, but I, I am somebody who works in the college sports industry. So right now on my television, I've got the first NCAA March Madness game on between Mount St. Mary's and Texas Southern. There's a play-in game. And so for me, this is like the – this is the craziest time of year. This is a time of year where baseball meets college sports – meets the NFL draft, which I still, you know, on the college side, so I cover that as well, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also do the Locked On Big 12 podcast, so the Big 12 has seven teams in the NCAA tournament. They've got plenty of guys who are going to be drafting the NFL draft. The Nationals are obviously in spring training, so uh, a busy time to be, you know, to be right now, but I'm glad I'm still going to talk to you nonetheless. Oh, that's great. Well, let me t- it's funny. You, you mentioned that. I don't I, – I really don't follow college sports. I, I went to NYU – for my undergrad, they were the Violets, not the most fearsome nickname in the world. No. We, didn't, we did not have a football team. We did not have a baseball team. We supposedly had a basketball team who clearly would lose if they played the dudes playing on the basketball courts on West 3rd Street. And, uh, and so, you know, you don't go to NYU with a, a, a sense of wanting to have rah-rah school pride. I did get my master's. My, I'm sure I'm getting my second master's right now, but I got my first master's uh, at Washington State, go Kooks. Mm-hmm. But I got it when I was an adult, and I was getting a master's for work purposes, not because I wanted that college experience. And I'm at <laughs> I'm doing work at Cal State Fullerton, which is a great baseball college. Tremendous baseball program. Tremendous. Uh, and, and I am very much looking forward once – we can go to games with any sense of, you know, at least for me, any sense of safety to go cheer on my Titans. Uh, but I, that being said, I just don't, I don't follow college sports. I, I will say, <clears throat> excuse me. I will say that when my family moved from Massachusetts to California in the mid eighties uh, in, excuse me, <coughs> I got a little, got a little bump in my throat there. When I, when I was living in Massachusetts, in the mid eighties, it was impossible not to be swept in the undertow of Doug Flutie in the, uh, you know, playing for Boston college. And even though I was not at all a college basketball fan, it also was impossible not to watch when Patrick Ewing was King at Georgetown. My cousin, uh, Michael may rest in peace was going to Villanova during the mid eighties. And when they won the national title, and I believe it was 85, mm-hmm. he had bought a, uh, a Villanova shirt and he was, let's say Villanova national champs. And he visited us like maybe a day after the game. Cause it was near, it must've been near Easter's cause he would come see us at Easter time. And so my brother and I went into school with a Villanova national champion t-shirt, like two or three days after the game of which a lot of my friends were like, how did you get a shirt that fast? Because this was before you could just go to right, right. any place. And normally the only uh, sporting stuff you'd be able to get at a sporting goods would be the local team. And so the fact that we showed up with a Villanova shirt the same week of the game. Raleigh like, Massimino. It's Raleigh Massimino was the coach, I believe, of that yep. championship team. And then you mentioned Patrick Ewing. He mm-hmm. is the coach of Georgetown, the Hoyas basketball team this year. Mm-hmm. They last week went on a magical run through the Big East tournament. They were not going to be an NCAA tournament team. 
They won, I believe, three or four games in as many days. And, jo- and jo- Patrick Ewing, as the head of the Georgetown Hoyas, is going to be in the NCAA tournament. Funny story on this. He was going to the Madison Square Garden last week, and uh, a gym that a, – a, a, not just a gym. It is an arena where his name and his, his number hang in the rafters. And suddenly they ask him to show a credential. Uh, one, of the, one of the people asked him to show a credential. And he said, my credential is up there. <laughs> and, po- and pointed to, to, the, to, you know, to his number being retired. But, um, yes, that, that, that experience, the, those the Villanova's in the tournament again looking for their uh, – I mean, if they won the national championship this year, it would be their third national championship in six to seven years it would be. So that those teams you're discussing still very much in the college basketball picture. And I, I went to – my family moved from Massachusetts to Palo Alto, California mm. in the mid-'80s, and it was and, – and my mom, uh, and to this day, works at, at, at Stanford. So it was mm-hmm. the first time that I had any kind of connection to a, a sports team, you know, local sports team that they played. It was weird that the town we lived in, they actually once played the Super Bowl in Palo Alto. And it was yeah. – at the and it was the Niners in the Super Bowl. So it was like the home team. But when I was there, um, Stanford baseball was king. Stanford was the best baseball team of the mid-80s. And I got to see Jack McDowell, who was the best college pitcher, and for a period of time was an elite baseball. He was a, he was a Cy Young Award winner. And he had several really wonderful seasons with the Chicago White Sox. Uh, and injuries ultimately – denied him the great longevity of his career, but he was certainly a, a, a beloved player. And a lot of great, great players came out of that, uh, came out of Sunken Diamond at Stanford. And that, that was a, that was a unique experience for me. Cause I, moving to the Bay area was like uh, dying and moving to baseball heaven mm-hmm. because the giants were good. The A's were good. There was a minor league team in San Jose, which were called the B's, and then they became the San Jose Giants. And that's where I saw Ken Griffey Jr. play for the first time when he was a member of the San Bernardino Spirits. I saw Jack McDowell pitch for the uh, Stanford Cardinal. I saw the Giants in the postseason. I saw the A's in the postseason. I went to postseason games in both Oakland and in San Francisco. And it was it was wonderful. There was always – a place to see a ball game and I could bike to Sunken Diamond and see what is basically high, high A level baseball. Right. And that's a lot of what we're seeing now, actually the Southeastern conference. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. If you actually talk to pro scouts, they, they equate the Southeastern conference play to about actually high A. Uh, and that's because it's funny to see that transition. Now, a lot of West coast baseball in college, still very good. UCLA is amazing. As mm-hmm. you mentioned, Cal state Fullerton, Another, like, you know, one of the, one of the great programs, uh, Oregon and Oregon State. Oregon State's baseball program is tremendous. Yeah. Um, Arizona State, obviously, Spencer Torkelson, a name that everybody knows right now. But the Southeastern Conference, you've got names uh, like Jack Leiter, if that sounds familiar. He is Al Leiter's son. Uh, he might be better than the number one guy they have, Kumar Rocker at Vanderbilt, who is a consensus best player, but maybe not anymore because the guy is pushing for it. So I always love great college basketball or college baseball. I will say this. I was actually born in the Bay Area. I was uh, born, born in Marin County, uh, hospital in Marin County. My parents 
both dentists, one's a general dentist, one is a gum surgeon, um, they did the residency at University of California, San Francisco. So they, they did that, um, you know, in, in the, um, in obviously, or whatever the hell it's called now. I don't know what the actual school is called. The one that, I don't, I don't think it's the one that Bill Russell went to. So whatever San Francisco University, uh, it is downtown. Uh, they went to that one and did the residency there. Well, that'd, be U, that'd be UCSF. That'd be UCSF yes. is the one that's downtown. Yes. Yeah, whatever. Okay. I don't think Bill Russell, I, I, I forget which one it is. I actually have to ask him about it. But nonetheless, they have no, Bill Russell, the Bill Russell went to the University of San Francisco. Yes. So it's UCSF, not USF. Mm, yes. So the residency there, my brother and I, Ryan, were born out there. They moved back. My, my dad is from Richmond. My mother is from Philadelphia. But, but one of the people that we do call our uncle was at the infamous uh, earthquake game that was obviously in the Bay Area. So, yeah. uh, you know, stories of, of the Bay Area and, and obviously baseball are well ingrained in that area. And sadly, right now, I mean, those two, well, the Giants last decade have, have obviously, you know, they've, they've done a lot of great things, three World Series. But um, the A's, and I'm sure you've talked, you've talked some with our friend Jason, who is a tremendous host over there at Locked on A's. Uh, they're trying to get a little bit back, right? They're trying to find some of that glory again. So it is West Coast baseball. It's funny. You know, I, I think it's like this, it, it's such a big difference. Like, the, you know, it's the same sport, right? But kind of the attitudes about West Coast baseball fans and East Coast baseball fans, very much, very different. And I'm sure you can attest to somebody who lived in both places. Oh, I, I absolutely can. And um, by the way, another player I saw play in uh, Stanford was Mike Mussina. Mm-hmm. I saw wow. him play. And Dave McCarty, Dave McCarty, who uh, never became a superstar in the major leagues, uh, was uh, a very highly touted draft pick by Minnesota. And he kind of bounced around a little bit and was a, uh, a reserve on the – he played in the 03 playoffs with the Red Sox, and he played 89 games with the 2004 Red Sox. He was not on the playoff roster, but as a World Series ring to his credit. Uh, and so, but he was on the teams. He, you know, he, he stuck around long enough uh, to wind up getting a ring. Uh, it, it was, it was kind of startling to me when I moved to the Bay Area because I was used. I mean, I was coming right off of the '86 World Series in Boston. There's a lot of bitterness between Boston and New York sports-wise. And I thought there was going to be kind of a similar rivalry between the A's and the Giants. And I was to my utter amazement, I found the concept of being, which of course is such a smarter way to be a fan and a much more <laughs> intelligent way of being a fan. They're like, hey, if, if the Giants don't win, I hope the A's win. I said, why? Why aren't you unreasonably angry? Is it because they're not, they're not adding stress to their life? Right. And I remember in '89 when they, the the World Series was between Oakland and San Francisco, something that fans there had been waiting for for since, you know, since the A's moved there in '68, and they came very close in '71. Both of them made the postseason then. Uh, they thought it was going to happen in 88, wound up happening in 89. And people were selling hats that were split down the middle, A's on one side, Giants on the other. And I was like, I I could not fathom how that anyone could be a sports fan like that. Now, to be fair, there are some Giant fans I know who loathe the A's, especially those A's teams. 
and I know a lot of A's fans who have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder about all the attention the Giants get, who mm. truly despise the Giants. But on the most part, you find people like will have will lean towards one or the other. But if the A's can't win, oh, I'm rooting for the Giants, and, and vice versa. Right. And I, I really had a hard time understanding that. Yeah, I mean, the real like, West Coast rivalry is Giants and Dodgers. Like, that's yes. the one – that's – like, that's – as far as baseball hatred goes, like, that's actual hatred. Like, those two can't races too. What I, what I will say, however, is that there is what I was not looking for. I was looking for that in baseball. I didn't widen my, my glance enough because the vitriol between Stanford and Cal is palpable. Yes. And so, and that makes sense because the roots there are much deeper and they're, they're the identity of there is much deeper and it goes, you know, neither one of them are transient franchises that have arrived from other cities. Although to be fair, once the A's play this year, they'll have played in Oakland as long as they played in Philadelphia. Right. But they, that sort of generational vitriol in the mid eighties, so that's been passed down. Um, I think that culturally there is the, the rivalry between Northern California and Southern California is very similar to the rivalry between Boston and New York. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of people in the Bay area think they're smarter and LA is their kind of shallow sibling who is flashy and gets all the attention to the South and the and Southern California thinks Northern California is a bunch of, you know, stuck up snobs and it's eerily similar to New York and Boston. And you, (laughs) and I think that it's, when you think about how close we got to having the Washington senators and probably the St. Louis Browns be the two teams to move out West as opposed to the Giants and the Dodgers, that they kept that sort of bitter rivalry that was ingrained in New York and Brooklyn and transplanted to the West Coast, as opposed to trying to create a rivalry between the Browns and the Senators. I mean, that, I mean you know that what was going to happen is the Giants were on their way. They were moving to Minnesota. Right. They were going to become the Minneapolis Giants. And the Dodgers were weighing the pros and cons of moving to Flushing, Queens whether a new stadium was going to be built. And it was the senators who were being wined and dined by Los Angeles. And it wasn't until the Dodgers said, I don't like this deal in Queens. And they got word that the senators were being wined and dined by LA that they intercepted them and said, no, no, you don't want the senators. You want to, you want some marquee team like the Dodgers. And then once the Dodgers moved out, they needed to have a second team in California in order to make a trip out West not be economically disastrous right so they persuaded the giants to move to san francisco and ultimately the senators moved and became the twins but we but the could have been the senators in la and either the a's or the browns in san francisco and the browns and the senators are not quite the same rivalry as the Dodgers and the Giants. And it became perfect that way. You know, I'll tell you what's interesting is is about Washington now, you know, with their franchise. It's been coming along, Mm -hmm. but they don't have, you know, there's no rivals. Like, there's actual no – now, they've got the division rivalries. And I will say this, you know, I was talking to Ryan Finkelstein of Lockdown Mets the other day, and the Mets and Nationals have played some really important 
late late year baseball games. Especially twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen, even twenty sixteen. Yeah. Um, twenty nineteen. Uh, you know, each one of those you know teams try to make a you know the Mets. Mets people forget Mets try to make a second half push in twenty nineteen. Um, and they they almost repeated what they did to the Mets. The, the Mets in twenty fifteen swept the Nationals in a really important series in July. Now, the fast forward twenty nineteen, the Mets almost did the same to the Nationals back in twenty nineteen. But a and it was I mean literally an identical series. Um, the Mets won two games in twenty nineteen that they were not they led for a total of I think two innings maybe. Uh, they, they like that, yeah. yeah, and yeah. now huge game on Sunday. Anibal Sanchez takes the mound, and he was an integral part of that 2019 championship team. Pitches a, a really nice, solid game. Nets uh, Nets get enough run support as well. Halt that rally, and I think it was really important for them to mentally not get swept and allow the, the Mets back into things. Nats were able to take, still take control and end up obviously you know, having that great second half of the season and propelling themselves forward, but. You know, there's really no natural rival. Uh, now, I will say this. I think things are going to change this season. I think the rivalries in the National League East this season are going to be um, noted. They're going to be heated. They're going I – mean, I mean, this is the best division in baseball, Sally. There is no conversation. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. Nobody can say anything. You've got the Braves and the Marlins, who are the two you – know, projected to be two top ends of the division. Both teams in the playoffs last year. You've got the Mets, who obviously reloaded, and them and the, them and the Braves, the, the class division. You've got the Phillies and the Nats, who are in this middle tier, but both teams, don't get, don't get it twisted, they both want to make the playoffs. It's pretty clear. And then, like I said, the Marlins at the bottom. It's all killer, no filler. And I think, you know, while the Nats don't have any rivalries, every single one of these games is going to be heated, going to be contested, and they're all going to matter, in my opinion, for the most part. Quick pause for the cause on today's show. Today's sponsor is rockauto.com, guys. rockauto.com is a family-run business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. The best thing about rockauto.com, guys, is that the prices are always reliably low. It's the same for pros and do-it-yourselfers. Go to rockauto.com today to find the best selection for parts for your car or truck Right, locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box. So know what we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. Yep, I, I 100% agree with you. Uh, before we jump into the, the season, because I, I do want to get into that, I want to give one more quick thought to what you were saying about the, uh, the, flow, of, the flow of the year, being that you have, you know, you got the final you got the NCA tournament beginning and everything like that uh, I, a huge disruption of the flow of my year came about a few years ago because there are two things that your pal Sully obsesses over baseball and the academy awards i could very easily do locked on oscars I get I, and before anyone says, you know, they're meaningless. And then uh, we all get into something that is meaningless, whether it's sports or the British baking show or the Royals or Tiger King or one division. And it's not meaningless if it brings your life meaning. Exactly. And I find the Oscars for as frustratingly stupid as they are to be a wonderful 
movie scavenger hunt that I do every year. I wind up watching movies I normally wouldn't watch, sometimes really liking some of them, sometimes really not. Uh, I just watched Mank. I just watched The Trial of Chicago 7. thought they were both very good movies. Looking forward to seeing the rest of them. But here's the way that my life used to operate. It was like the tides, that baseball would be over in late October, and they usually push all the big Oscar films November and December, so they'd be fresh in your mind. So right around the time the World Series Parade was over, in comes all the big Oscar films. And I get into that, and I watch all the films. It's a scavenger hunt. They do the nominations, and then the ceremony was in the middle of March. Middle to end of March. Watch the Academy Awards. Da-da-da-da-da. Can't believe they snub Scorsese again. Boom! The season begins. Like the tides. Then suddenly they move the Oscars up to like mid-February. And double the nominees. So I had more films to watch. Less time to watch it. And then between February and the end of March, I was like, oh my God, what do I do? And I realized it was, you know, parent and to pay attention to my job but you know and of course this year everything's so weird that you know when they came out with oscar nominations i was like oh god we're gonna have oscars this year that's weird um although shout out to uh crip camp which got nominated for best documentary feature where the producer and director is my buddy jim lebrecht my buddy and co-collaborator is an academy award nominee so i'm rooting for my buddy my buddy Jim, one of the most talented sound designers in the world, gets nominated as a producer. So That's proud awesome. of my pal. So he's got, I hope he wins an Academy Award. Let's go. And, and uh, it's available on Netflix. Crip Camp, great movie. Jim Lebrecht's an amazing man. And I want him to be an Academy Award winner because he's worked his butt off his whole life. But that's one of those people, if he wins it, that's one of those people going, God, he deserves it. He spent his whole life working in movies I, in relative obscurity in Berkeley. So I, go do that. I usually try to watch all the Best Picture nominees. So that, mm-hmm. that, that is something that I will try to do every year. Yeah, I, and I, I, I've seen every Best Picture nominee since 1950. There's a few stragglers since the beginning. I've seen all the winners, and I've seen all the nominees since uh, 1950. And sometimes I stumble across a film going, God, this is unwatchable. How did this get nominated? And sometimes I stumble across a film going like, wow, I would never have watched it. And I loved it. And uh, that's why I do it. But now that, now that, the, that sort of cycle of the seasons, like the tide, has been disrupted. All because they moved the Oscar ceremony. I'm sorry. Holy, holy cow, are we off topic. All right, hey, look, at, let's get on topic here. Josh Neighbors is the host of Locked On Nationals. Nationals. I almost said Senators. Locked On <laughs> Nationals. And as you alluded to, the Nationals are playing in the best division in baseball. They are. Now, I will say this right up front. I do think there's a clear front runner. I do think the Atlanta Braves probably are the best team top to bottom. That being said... There have been many, many years like, oh, I don't know, uh, 2012 or 2015 when the the National League East had a clear-cut winner and a team other than the clear-cut winner wound up winning the division that year. It happens from time to time. And there's not a dud in the division. 
The Marlins made the postseason last year. The Phillies are a mess, but have a ton of talent. The Mets, when they're healthy, their pitching staff will be second to none. Atlanta it, it could potentially win 100 games this year. And lest we forget, the Washington Nationals are only two years removed from winning the World Series and have made some deals with to set up this year that, look, I don't see them as the favorite, but I surely see them as a winning team and a contender. Yes, yeah, so Sally, here's the deal. Uh, they're, they're Making the playoffs in the National League is going to be really difficult. And I said this a bunch in our, on my show. Just play it out. The three winners, we think, are going to be the Dodgers. Just I'm just going to take an example. Dodgers, let's go with Cardinals, let's go with Braves, all right? You got two playoff spots left there. We can assume Mets probably get one of them. And do you want to assume Padres? I mean, here's the thing. I, I would assume Padres over the Mets right now. I, right. I think. It's, and so, and so I think the Mets might be a better team. Padres, I think, are better plays because they, they don't play as good competition on a consistent basis mm-hmm. is kind of my read on it. But what you're, have, what, you're, what you're saying at this point is the Mets, or excuse me, the Nationals, the Phillies, the Marlins, the Brewers, the Cubs – Somebody's going to have to upset the apple cart in a big, big way. And so what I'll say is this. Do I think the Nationals make the playoffs? No, I do not. I think they make the playoffs, which I think is, which I think is pretty – which is not really normal, I think, for most hosts on our network. Uh, I'm, I'm, not as, I'm not as big of a Nationals fan as, as some of the people are for other, other teams they uh, or teams that they cover, but nonetheless. Um, but if they make it, like who the hell wants to play them? I mean, the Braves, have, the Braves have won to an extent, but have not won the way the Nationals have. The Mets have not won the way the Nationals have. The Padres have not won the way the Nationals have. Sure, the Dodgers have won, but, but look back to 2019. Last time these two teams met in the playoffs, who won? Washington Nationals did in, in pretty impressive fashion. The Cardinals, last time these two teams met in the playoffs, who won? Cardinals didn't win a game. They they did not win a single game. It was not close. They, so they they they, they had the doors blown off the cards. Oh, it was it was it was a sweep. I saw it coming, and I said once they got past the Dodgers, I said, look, the only team I'm worried about the Nationals at that point in time. This is actually before I was covering them. Is is the Astros? That's mm-hmm. the one team that worries me. I said the Cardinals. They've got nothing. The Nationals. They blew the blue doors off. So I think we're in an interesting spot now. We're looking at what's happening in the National League, and do I think the Nats make it once again? No. But if they do, nobody wants to play this team. This team is built for October. The question is, are they built to get there in a really competitive division? That's, that, is a great, that is a great point. That was really uh, well stated. In fact, um, you could sell a few built Bars. That was how well that that was uh, stated. <laughs> Here's what I think is in the Nationals' favor this year. First of all, you're going to have – 162 games with Robles, with Soto, with Turner, and rolling the dice that the likes of, you know, Schwarber and Bell and Castro, they're hoping that they can, you know, catch lightning in the bottle with one of those, with one of them. But Soto, and you know, you have an elite talent on the squad who's, who's blossoming, and you're going to see him play the full 162. But you alluded to it. Look it. Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, and Lester, the law firm of Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, and Lester, 
are four players, and they're all there's question marks to all of them to any veteran pitcher right. where they, they've been around the block a bunch of times. However, if those guys can be even remotely healthy and remotely close to what they're capable of being, who the hell wants to face them in a short series? And, and all, also, they're all world champions. I was all about, four are world champions. I was about to say, Strasburg's a World Series MVP. Lester's a Div- League Championship Series MVP. Patrick Corbin came out of the bullpen to win Game 7 of the World Series. And Max Scherzer's a Hall of Famer. And so nothing's going to phase those guys. In fact, Max Scherzer probably would have been a League Championship Series and World Series MVP if the Tigers had anything resembling a bullpen back in 2013 when they were heads and shoulders better than the Red Sox, except for the fact that the Red Sox had Koji Uehara as a closer and the Detroit Tigers had the 14th caller. And so the, the fact of the matter is you have in a short series, when you have a pitching staff that can match up with any other pitching staff and you hope that a bunch of other players who are all as I mentioned, Soto, Turner, Schwarber's got World Series experience. These are all guys who won't wilter. Is that a word? Wilter? Uh, wither. It's, it's, I, yeah, I combine wither, wither and or, wilt. <laughs> I put wilter, them in. I brundle fly them into wilter. Um, and <laughs> but um, And now is the wilter of our discontent. And I think the Nats are going to be the type of team that could be terrifying down the stretch, especially if you have teams that are stumbling over themselves, it's not too dissimilar to a bunch of years when in the past, when you've tried to have teams try to overtake the, the division champion and you've seen lesser talented Cardinals or Yankees or Braves teams win in the past. And oh, why did they, you know, why did they win? It's because they didn't fold down the stretch. And this team's not going to fold. This team may get old down the stretch, yeah, that's but they will not team. fold down the stretch. They, they got to be healthy. Um, yeah. You know, the Braves, the Mets are built and constructed to where they can absorb an injury or two, right? Think about that, that, that Mets pitching staff. I mean, it's already built with the injury of Noah Syndergaard in mind, right? Mm-hmm. It are, um, the Braves, to some extent as well. They have a pitching staff built with the fact that Mike Soroka is going to be coming back from injury. I think Dylan Short of Lockdown Braves made a great point. Probably a little bit slower than we think because also he's got to run the bases because the DH really, you know, we can't get the DH not in the entire league. So those teams are built with that in mind. The Nationals cannot absorb a pitching injury. That fifth starter spot's wide open. Um, they're one pitching injury away from seeing Austin Voth and Eric Fetty or Joe Ross, you know, two of those three guys pitching, Aurelio Armenteros pitching, two of those three guys, two of those four guys pitching every fifth day. Last year, Austin Voth did complete disaster. Yeah, and 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 I can't even tell you for sure what we're gonna get from what we're gonna get for John Lester. So this team has got to stay healthy, and things have to break right for them. Like they are going to need, um, you know, they're going to need John Lester to pitch well. They're going to need one of Schwarber or Bell to kind of hit that peak of what they were. Now I think there is right. a good track record for the Nats of bringing in older talent. Not old, but those guys aren't necessarily that old, but you know. Guys who are at veteran parts of their career, those guys coming in and performing pretty well. I, th- I think this team's got a good track record of that besides Eric Thames. So I think the Nats have a lot of stuff that goes in their favor in that sense. 
But it's, it's a long grind. The team is still not that young. Victor Robles, like you said, he's got to be at a high level. Like he was, he was not last year. They might bat him lead off. They got to figure out how they want to construct the lineup. Um, the bullpen, it's gotten a lot better than it was last year. So they've taken a meaningful steps. There's no questions about the intentions of the 2021 Nationals. There are no questions about that. Results is going to be a another story, but they've got a they've got a lot of parts of the World Series team still left. They've got a World Series winning manager. It's a World Series winning GM. You should have confidence in all of those things. So while I might be a pessimist, I think there are a lot of reasons for Nationals fans to be optimists. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting, best for you protein bar out there right now. It is delicious. It is nutritious. It is truly the best. If you guys go to at bar underscore built on Twitter, they have their Built Bar Madness Bracket right now. You guys can vote on what your favorite Built Bar flavor is. They have matchups every single day. So go to at bar underscore built once again and vote every single day. And also go to builtbar.com, try their Built Bars, try their Built Go, Built Boost, all of those things. Use that promo code LOCKEDON15, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-1-5, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-1-5, LOCKEDON15, and you guys will get a 15% discount on your next order at BuiltBar.com. One more quick pause in the action today, let you guys know today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. You guys know the deal, football season's over, but college hoops, NBA, and NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality television, real-time updated odds, and props for almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to the website or use your mobile device. Sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with the promo code LOCKEDON. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, LOCKEDON, at betonline.ag. Once again, sign up. If you guys deposit 100 bucks, you guys use the promo code Locked On. you'll get another 50 to play with. So whatever you guys deposit, 50% more will be added to your account. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Well, and I will say that for some things, like you take, for example, um, Victor Robles. Now, Victor Robles, obviously the year he they went to the World Series and won he had a fine rookie. That was technically his rookie season, even though he was on the 2017 and 2018 squads. He was technically a rookie in 2019. Um, he played 52 games last year. I've got his stats up here. He didn't play particularly well no. last year. And defense was, was an issue too. But it was 52 games. Right. I mean, that's where you have to take a lot of this with a grain of salt. If you looked up and you said, hey, it's Memorial Day. Oh, Victor Robles is batting 220. His OPS is 608. Uh, you know, his on-base percentage is under 300. Let's hope he picks it up over the next 100 games as opposed to, that's all, folks. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, there was no time for adjustments. That's one of the reasons why last year was so surreal is there was no time to adjust. There was no time to get on that hot streak have those players who well they slumped the first half but they caught fire the second none of that happened you just had the equivalent of april and may and so here was a 23 year old kid coming off of a year where they went to the world series 
things seem to fall in place for him. And then suddenly to say, hey, you get two months to, to you know, pitchers have adjusted to him, so he doesn't get a chance to adjust back. I mean, I, and, and again, I could, I could sound slightly hypocritical that I'll give Robles a pass, but then go on and praise Juan Soto for the same amount of time. But uh, I, I really, I think that you have an outfield, when you have Soto and Robles, those are two of the really young, super talented players who already have checked a bunch of the boxes that you would want to have for a star. They've, they've been there for a few years. They've put up big numbers. Obviously, Robles last year, um, you know, slumped. And obviously, Juan Soto was a, uh, a legitimate MVP candidate last year. Um, and so, I mean, you know, obviously, he had the Freeman won, and, and he, he was behind. Yeah, and one, I mean, one missed eight games at the end of the season. They, they could have won the MVP, in my yeah. opinion. For Victor, you know, you bring up Victor, it's really important to note, note like, yeah, like you said, he's very young. And, you know, it was a shortened season, and he's just got so much potential. I, I just think Nationals fans want to see it. And while it was a short season last year, one thing I will say is he got every opportunity to win either, like, leadoff job. I mean, they gave him plenty of chance to play well. And so, you know, shortened or not, he just had a bad year. And um, now, is he talented enough to definitely bounce back? Hell yeah. He's such a talented player. Uh, I, I like the way he's looked so far this spring, getting on base a lot. Seems like he's seen the ball a bit better as well. So those are encouraging things. And they want him to lead off Sully. They desperately want him to be their leadoff guy. He has hit leadoff in like every single spring training game he has played. He has been their leadoff guy. So I'm kind of of the mind that, you know, he's the kind of guy I bet ninth if he's doing pretty decent just because it helps to turn over the lineup more than a pitcher would at that ninth spot. But if he's really killing the ball and really doing a great job getting on base, hit him first. I'm of the mind that you want Trey 1-2, get those guys maximum amount of bats in the season, right? It's kind of where I think my mind goes. But – you know, if, if Victor's doing a great job, then I, I think he's got, you know, maybe has a claim to that leadoff spot. All right. Well, look at, let me ask you a question here. Cause we're going, obviously we're, you, you've tapped into a couple of things I want to know from your point of view, but the fact of the matter is the, the nationals have talent. Uh, I, I think that there's a whole mess of teams. Uh, I really think there, are, I personally think there are four elite teams in the National League. Uh, I do think Los Angeles, I do think Atlanta, I do think San Diego, and I do think St. Louis are the, you know, kind of the heads and shoulders. They're the the clear favorites in there. So basically, in my opinion, it's one playoff spot that several, um, I don't want to say flawed teams, but like good teams, you know, not great teams, but good teams, are going to be boxing out, throwing elbows, trying to get one spot. And you mentioned, you know, I think the Cubs have taken themselves almost out of it. I agree. Um, I mean, the, I don't understand why they have decided to uh, cut bait. Uh, Cincinnati, by losing Trevor Bauer, I, I don't think they have the talent to stand up with the rest of them. Uh, the Giants, the Rockies, the Diamondbacks, they're, they're also ran status. Uh, the Pirates are in – the. I think the Pirates are the only team in baseball 
that has a legit shot to lose 100 games this year. And um, and so I think everyone – Miami, Philadelphia, New York, Washington, and Milwaukee are the five teams that are going to battle it out for one spot. And I think probably probably 88 wins will get it. Probably 88 wins will get that second wild card spot. Where do you put now? We we've established once if the if the Nationals get in, even if they go up against a super strong team like either San Diego or Los Angeles, whoever doesn't win in first place in that division will probably be the one will probably host the wild card game, and none of them want to face Scherzer or Lester or one of them in a one game playoff. Maybe not a five game, but in a one game playoff where you can throw everything in the moon at them, then that would be that would be terrifying. That is a real incentive for the Padres or the Dodgers to win the division if they knew the Nats were looming after them, or the Mets for that matter. Where do you think the Nationals fit in with that clump of teams in the regular season race? If if the total is 88 looking for, yeah. I would say they're three games short. I think they fall 85. Uh, I think 85 sounds right to me. It sounds like the right range. Um, and that's like if they stay relatively healthy, too. I think mm-hmm. 85 is a target. Once again, I like, you know, we project so much based off of what we fully think will happen, and we don't consider injuries a whole lot of times. I'm kind of taking that into account. So I think 85 will be good for them, um, considering the level of competition. They might not think so. I think 85 is pretty good, all things considered. So I think – there were a few games short of the playoff spot to answer your question very quickly. Yeah. You know, I, in all honesty, I think you're probably right. You know, uh, you know, when a team that's filled with really good players and, and a lot of, and, and veteran pitchers and everything, you know, they can hit a wall really fast. And I think that's the most terrifying thing for mm-hmm. the, um, for the Nats going into a season where they have so much being banked on the success of their starting pitching. I just think about how fast the Philadelphia Phillies went from going, Oh my God, they've got Lee and Halliday and Hamels and Roy Oswalt to suddenly those players no longer being valuable anymore. And it ending really quickly, which is again, one of the reasons why them winning in 2019 was so critical because the window of opportunity wasn't as great, but yeah, it really does. I, I mean, it is a great cliche, but it really just depends on their health because if this, as, as we just rattled off, they've got a bunch of players who when healthy are, are you just, are, well, like, are, rotations got, like the rotations gotta be right too. Like, the, I mean, let's think about it this way. You know, Scherzer, Strasburg and Corbin have all looked pretty good so far this spring, to be honest, they've all looked very good. Um, and that's positive, but Scherzer pitched through pain last year. Stroudsburg season, he only pitched five innings and had obviously surgery. And then, um, you know, Corbin was somebody admitted that he was not pitching at a fully 100%, and he underperformed last year as well. So if those three guys are right, then, I mean, yeah, look, look, the, you know, look the F out, right? I mean, here come the Nationals. But those guys, you know, you're banking on three guys over 30, looking right. I think Patrick Corbin's, I believe he's over 30. But three guys over 30 looking right, and there's no guarantee that's going to happen. Oh, yeah, your fourth guy 
is 37-year-old John Lester. So they've got some potential there. You know, obviously it's, it's tap potential. We've already seen it before. But they, they've got potential there if they have to go correctly. It's just a matter of keeping those guys healthy. And even if they get all – even if they get good stuff from all four of those guys, even if the line, things go well for their lineup, look at how good the other two teams in the division are. There's no guarantee that they're going to get the next wild card spot. Um, I got to say, the one of the things I'm looking forward to this year is physically going to a game. Now, I'm very, for the lack of a better word, I'm gun shy to go to a game. Uh, those who know what's happened in my, you know, with my dad mm-hmm. dying of COVID, I'm, I'm being a little. Uh, Call, call me crazy, but I'm no, a little, you know, it's, we're, st- we're not there yet, folks. We're not right. there yet. You know, we're, this is the third act, hopefully, but you know, there's, we need to get, this is not the conclusion. And so the, the idea of, you know, I got shot number one, I get shot number two in a few weeks, but it's not a magic potion folks. So let's just be smart. Let's see. Let's see everything come down back to normal. But I must say, two things I'm looking forward to. Kids coming back into my classroom so I'm not teaching on the damn camera mm-hmm. and going to a ball game. Now, right. you will appreciate, Josh Neighbors, the last ball game that I physically was at, physically sitting in the stands watching, was game one of the division series between the Washington Nationals and the Los Angeles Dodgers mm. at Dodger Stadium. I was wow. a guest of Aaron Dolan, friend of the podcast, Aaron Dolan, who's the wife of friend of the podcast, Sean Doolittle. She called me. She said, we have, a, we have an extra ticket. You want to come be my guest at the ballpark? I got, you know, I had to go sign in thing. I got free tickets to go, one ticket to go sitting right behind home plate for game one where the Dodgers, at, where, you know, the Nationals were coming off of the dramatic victory off of Milwaukee, which I think was just the night before, maybe two nights before. Yeah, two nights before, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was fresh off of that. I can't believe they pulled that game off. And sitting there, and the Dodgers smacked the Nationals around in game one. And I was sitting there in the players' family section, and there was a little bit of this deflated sense of, well, it was nice to get here but we're witnessing the World Series champions, aren't we? And little did we know, we were. <laughs> we were it just World was Series not champions. the team that we thought it was. You know, Sully, it's really interesting you mentioned this because th- think about it like this. Fans have not seen the World the, – the Nationals fans have not seen their World Series champion in person. Right. Now, I think it's 5,000 fans going to be allowed to see the first game. So, obviously, uh, in that's part – not not very you know not very many which to, I'm totally fine at this point in time but yeah, absolutely Nationals fans have not been able to see their 2019 World Series champion team in person yet and they had the parade yes all those things but it's 31821 as we sit here right now and I'm excited for that as well too get get fans you know obviously smart about it, folks I've got both my shots uh higher risk. So I was able to, you know, luckily enough to get him early. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I you know, we, we just hope everybody's safe when they go to these games, right? Wear your mask, make good choices, be respectful of others. Um, and so we can, you know, continue to go see games and whatnot. But yeah, it's wild how far we've come from 
Last season feels like it was a long time ago and a short time ago in so many weird ways. 2019 season feels like a lifetime ago, to be totally honest. It feels like a lifetime ago. And, and for, I mean, to see the first standing O the Nationals are going to get from even just their 5,000 fans are going to be there is going to be very special for all the Nationals fans who, who, who you know, are around the world, I guess, who watch the team play because they have not yet gotten to celebrate their 2019 World Series championship in their home ballpark. They have not played a game with fans at home. The game seven was one on the road. Six and seven were both on the road. So uh, I'm really excited to see the Nats be able to do that, you know, have, have fans and be able to celebrate with them. You know, it's something wild when you think about that game five between L.A. and the Nats. I mean, the, the, the two, the clinchy game against Los Angeles and the clinchy game against Houston were, were wild because mm-hmm. the other team was ahead for so long that, you know, when uh, Kershaw struck out Adam Eaton in the seventh inning, there was that sense of, you know what, the Dodgers are just better. Dodgers are just better. And, you know, Roberts feeling nostalgic, wanted Kershaw to be the one to clinch it, left him in for the Rendon home run. The wrong two guys. The wrong two back-to-back combination, baby. Those guys were killer. But just think this is, you know, I do What If Wednesdays on many of the, the Wednesday shows. If Will Smith's drive to right field was a little more to the left or a little more to the right. It would have reached the gap. Kiki Hernandez would have scored and the Dodgers would have clinched and, and would have, they would have destroyed the Cardinals and they probably would have beaten Houston. There would no doubt they would have swept the Cardinals because that Cardinals team was, they were fine. Sacrificial lamb. uh, Yeah. Kind of what they were in that situation. Yes. But that's how close it was. Well, look at, hey, Josh, I'm going to wrap up here. Tell people where they can listen to your podcast. Yep, you can find me at Josh Neighbors underscore on Twitter. You can find the Nationals podcast at LO underscore Nationals on Twitter. You can get it wherever your podcasts are found. And, hey, look, if you're maybe into some college basketball, some college football at any point in time, you're bored, Locked On Big 12, you can find that and Locked On Nationals wherever you guys Get your podcast. You can follow it on Twitter at LO Big 12. Sully, it was a pleasure talking to you, my friend. And it was a pleasure talking to you. Follow us at all the places you can get your podcast. This has been Locked On MLB for the 19th day of March 2021. We both have stuff we have to do at the top of the hour. I'm your host, Paul <laughs> Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. <laughs> <laughs>